Okay, a little bit of confession time. It's 10 minutes before the service is about to start, just a little while ago, and I'm putting my, my, my microphone pack on, and I dropped it on the tile back there, dented it so it wouldn't connect. So I'm thinking, okay, who can I blame for this? Say, so, well, like I when, when in doubt, blame Joe Simpson. But uh, I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So, yeah, is Joe here this morning? Um, okay, then I will blame Joe. But no, no, no. No, I confess to it. I slipped through my hands and I dropped it. I'm not going to make an excuse. It was just something that I did. You see, if there's one thing that I don't handle very well from other folks, it's excuses. You know, just own it. Seminary students, when I teach at the seminary, they, they, they come up with some really interesting excuses. Uh, Jeff Corbin has never done that. No, but... No, no, that's right. I, I haven't had you in class yet, but I'm, I'm, but I'm wishing and hoping. But there's this one student I had who, who, who didn't turn in a paper on time. And so I asked him about it. I said, you didn't turn your paper in. And he gave me this elaborate response. Listen to this. He said he didn't turn his paper in because he got locked out of his house. So he went over to his friend's house who had a key, but he was attacked by a dog. And as he was running away from the dog, he fell into a creek. So soaking wet, he got on his bike and then got hit by a car. And then he had to give a police report before he went to the ER for his bike injuries. So that's why he didn't turn his paper in. So as his professor, I said, you know, that's a good one. Wish I could give you extra credit for creativity, but I wish you had just said, I goofed up. Which he didn't do. Why can't we just take responsibility for our actions? Why is it that we, we tend to find someone or some other situation to place blame? Near the end of Luke chapter 9, we see four examples of wrong ways to be a disciple of Jesus. We see these four examples of how you should not be a disciple. And most of them have to do with excuses. See, Jesus is walking to Jerusalem where he's going to go die on the cross. And as, as he and his disciples are walking, they, they meet up with some folks who are curious about what it means to be a disciple or a follower of Jesus. So in verse 57, verse 57 somebody says to Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you no matter where you go. Boy, isn't that honorable? Doesn't that sound really spiritual and dedicated Jesus saw right through it he said foxes have dens birds have nests but I don't have any place to sleep see the man wanted to appear like he was following Jesus but he wasn't ready to follow him to obscurity and to follow him with inconveniences in his life see Jesus didn't even have a home to go to being a disciple of Jesus doesn't mean you're going to be a celebrity or people are going to look up to you. This man was in it for how he looked to everybody around him. 
That's not a good reason to be a disciple. Then in verse 59, Jesus sees someone and he says, come, be my disciple. He calls this person just like he had called his 12 disciples. The man said, sure, but first let me wait till my father dies and I bury him, we have the funeral. And Jesus says what some people think is the, is the rudest thing Jesus ever said to somebody. He says, let those who are dead care for their own dead. What he really means is let those who are spiritually dead care for their own. He said, your job is to go and preach. Then that seems kind of cold-hearted. I mean, this guy said, sure, I'll follow you. He just wanted to take care of his responsibilities as a son. Yet Jesus knew this man's heart. He could see past his words to his heart. See, sometimes we find excuses not to do what God wants us to do, don't we? Maybe God gives us a, that little nudge to call somebody. God places a name on your heart. You know, call that person. You say, yes, I need to give them a call. But I'll wait till this show's over. I'll wait till halftime. Then I'll call. And you know what? When that happens, most of the time, we forget. Jesus knew that this man may have been using his ill father as an excuse not to follow Jesus. Jesus called his bluff. Then we have in verse 61, somebody says to Jesus, Lord, I'll follow you, but first, at least just let me say goodbye to my family. That's not so bad. I mean, that's, that's a good thing to do. Say goodbye so that they don't worry about you, right? So Jesus replies to him. He says, you know, you can't plow a field by looking backwards. There's a lot of great wisdom in that statement. How many times have we said, Lord, I'll follow you, but... Lord, I'll give my life to you, but... It's like we're trying to make a deal with God. What's the best deal we can get on following Jesus? I'm notorious in our family for not wanting to spend a penny more for anything than I have to. I mean, I'll haggle over the price of a dollar cup of coffee at McDonald's. How about 97? Would you go 97 cents? When it comes to renting cars or staying in hotels, I'm always trying to make a deal. I don't want to pay a penny more for anything than I have to. I have an app on my phone that tells me where to find the cheapest gas. I'll probably spend $5 in gas to save 10 cents, but I'll do it. Now, finding the best deal is great when it comes to our finances, but it's not how we should approach God. Lord, I'll give you my life, but how about I keep one Sunday a month for me? You know, Lord, like a Sabbath Sunday. I'll keep that for myself, Lord, it'd be good for me. Lord, I'll become your disciple, but that one part of my life, that's off the table. Because I've got to have that. That's not what it means to be a disciple. Being a disciple of Jesus is being a lifelong apprentice of Jesus. It's living as Jesus lived with the worldview that Jesus had. 
If Jesus laid his life down for us, being a disciple is to lay down our lives for him. Now, that may not necessarily be giving up our lives, dying for him, but that might be in place someday. And we should be ready for that. But laying down our lives is to lay down our dreams, our desires, our pride, our agendas, so that Jesus can become all of who we are. That's what God wants for us. One of my goals for this church is that we're filled with new disciples, not just new faithful members. So these three people in our scripture, they tried to pull one over on Jesus, didn't they? I think the reality is that they weren't really committed to Jesus in the first place. They just wanted people to think that they were. Each one made an excuse to get out of being a disciple. Remember at the start of the sermon, I mentioned that there were four examples. Did y'all think I goofed up? Because I only mentioned three. There's a fourth. There's a fourth example in our scripture of the wrong way to approach being a disciple of Jesus. And it's actually at the very start of our scripture reading. It's something said by two disciples of Jesus, James and his brother John. See, the, Jesus and his disciples were up north. They're trying to get south to Jerusalem. And they had to go through that middle part of the region that was Samaria, where the Samaritans lived. Now, Jews in a Samaritan village would be like someone with a UK shirt walking through the University of Louisville's campus. Probably not going to get the best welcome. Think of your team's enemy and what if they came into your turf? Not the best welcome. The people in this village wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They wanted nothing to do with his 12 disciples. They refused to put him up for the night. So, James and his brother John were really offended. I mean, who do they think they are? So I love what they say to Jesus. Hey, Lord, you want us to order down fire from heaven to come torch that stupid village and burn them all up? I'm so glad that verse is in the Bible. Because haven't you all felt that way before? About somebody? Be honest. Now first, I think it's hilarious that Jesus, two of Jesus' disciples actually wanted fire to come down from the sky and torch a village. And secondly, I think it's wild that they believed they could do it. So what does Jesus do? Well, first of all, you know what James and John's nicknames were in, in, in the Bible? The sons of thunder. Now we know why. That's why they're called the sons of thunder. So when, so, so when these sons of thunder say this to Jesus, he basically turns to them and just tells them to knock it off. Oh, y'all knock it off. Stop it. See, James and John were committed followers of Jesus. There were two people in the 12 closest disciples. There were other disciples Jesus had. 
But there were the 12 that were his inner circle. James and John were in Jesus' inner circle. Yet they still needed to learn not to make discipleship about themselves or about how it made them feel. I mean, it's true. The people in the village were rude. They were unwelcoming. But James and John needed thicker skin if they were going to be able to make it as disciples of Jesus. Sometimes we Christians can get really touchy and get our feelings hurt very easily by people who are outside of the church. Well, can you believe that news person called us hypocrites? Oh my goodness, what are we going to do? That person hurt my feelings because he said taking my Bible to school was offensive to him. Oh my goodness. Y'all have got to have thicker skin than that. Being a disciple of Jesus is tough. We have to be able to walk away when people are rude to us. We need to learn how to pray for them. Think about Jesus when he was in the midst of being crucified. He witnessed to the people around him when he said, Father, forgive them because they have no idea what they're doing. He wasn't offended. He prayed for them. To be a disciple of Jesus is to put your own personal feelings aside. It's to be completely devoted to Jesus and to be a witness to the world of who Jesus is. It's not to have excuses or to put off what we know we need to do. God puts something on your mind, you do it. And it's not to show off how spiritual we are. A lot of times we're really good at that one. It's to stop worrying how people see us and just be authentic. Just be real. That's what we're called to be. I think what our world needs are churches filled with faithful disciples, not faithful church members. And to move, and this is hard, to move from membership to discipleship in a local church is a whole reconstruction of our understanding of what it means to be a Christian. We have to relearn what it means to be the church. Listen, there's no greater joy on earth than to know that you're a disciple of Jesus. Listen, I experienced a lot of joy this week. A lot of anxious moments but see, I'm the fourth generation Voits to be a Cubs fan. My children are the fifth, and their children will be the sixth. And they know that. That's right. But when the Cubs made that final out the other night, I was a mess. It was one in the morning. I was tired. I was stressed. It was an incredible game. I'm bawling like a baby. And I'm on the phone with my dad, and he's bawling like a baby. And Daniel and Julianne are on the phone with us, and they're like, are they really crying? (laughs) And we were talking about my grandfather, who didn't live to see this, and his father. 
because we're all from Eastern Iowa, and you're a Cubs fan if you're from Eastern Iowa. But listen, nothing will ever compare to the joy of being a disciple of Jesus. Nothing. Not e- don't throw tomatoes here. Not even being a UK basketball fan is exciting as giving your life to Christ. And if it is, we need to talk. See, Jesus gave his life so that you and I might discover what living really is. God who became human, who died, who rose from the dead for eternity, did all of that for you and for me. All the Cubs have ever done for me is to give me a team to cheer for. And they wanted me to be a fan so they could make money off of me. That's the reality. But being a disciple of Jesus is not like being a diehard fan of Jesus. We aren't fans of Jesus. That's superficial. We don't represent Jesus like we wear blue and white to represent UK. That's on the outside. Jesus is about the heart. It's about the inside that nobody can see. Being a disciple of Jesus is forsaking our life so that Jesus can give us his life. And his life is a whole lot more stable than our lives, isn't it? Listen, we all make excuses from time to time to get out of what God wants us to do. We misunderstand what being a disciple of Jesus is all about. But my prayer for all of us is that we'll stop making excuses and live in a way that is completely surrendered to God. And see, that's not a lofty Christian goal. That's not something we should aspire to, to completely surrender ourselves to God. That's the minimum requirement to being a disciple. That's the expectation. The minimum requirement for being a disciple is to give yourself away so that God can give you who he really wants you to be. It's not living life the way we want to live life. It's giving up control of our lives. And these four examples in this scripture tells us how we're not supposed to do that. Because when we give up control, and that's so hard, I'm a control freak, I admit it, I confess it. When we give up control of our lives, there's a freedom that you can't even explain. I can't explain how it feels to say, my life is being led by God now. That takes so much pressure off. That's what he wants for us because he knows what's best for us. And he knows what's best for us because he created us and he loves us. Let's pray.